Good morning. Can we get the house lights up a little bit? Awesome. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. You're up here, a church in Paisley in Scotland that was the Paisley Church of the Nazarene. I was probably, it is so hard to remember the timeline of these things. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, and I, we, the, we were part of a group, a youth group that um, went to these events. So there was an event called Curious, which is the Greek word for Lord. And they were playing on the fact as kids, you're curious about things about Jesus. Um, so we go to this event called Curious. And, and one day it was held in this church. This is, it's called St. Matthew's. Um, and I remember a ton of young people being here. I remember worship on the stage. I remember someone standing up and giving a testimony. And I remember them sharing a story about abuse in their background. And uh, at that point in my own journey, I'd been a victim of abuse, but hadn't really dealt or processed or verbalized anything to do with it. But I remember this testimony. I remember uh, admiring the bravery of the person on the stage as they were sharing something that I was like, no one should ever be sharing this in a public setting. Uh, But more than that, I remember getting to the end of their message and the band went up on the stage, started to lead worship. I don't even remember the song. All I remember was listening to the words. And as everybody around me was like hands in the air, like singing with joy, I just remember sitting still, just weeping. Um, Because something happened in the sharing of the testimony that tapped the pain in my life. And then the words and the music came together in a way that unlocked something in my heart. And I remember just weeping. Uh, And people would come over, uh, and I'd just cry. And the, the service finished, and I just sat there while everyone else was cleaning up. I just sat glued to my spot and just wept. Um, the power of our worship. Uh, I, I can think about old, Irvine Old Parish Church, the, the church that I grew up in, a Church of Scotland church built in 1774, two years before your country existed. Um, so <laughs> uh, I remember sitting in this church. Um, it was uh, an older, traditional, giant pulpit up in the front, way up top. They'd parade the Bible out. Everyone would stand up. The minister would come out in his robes. I remember being a really young kid. I remember there were hymns. We would sit at the front. I, I remember the hymn books. I remember very distinctly the first day that I opened one of the hymn books and realized that I could read the words. Because I'd seen them loads of times, but it's just gobbledygook on the stage. I can remember the first time I realized I could read it and could participate with what was going on in the room because I understood the words. Um, Lots of worship experiences. I'm going to show you some other uh, pictures on the screen here. Um, So many worship moments that I can take myself back to. Top left, being in a mud hut in India, common experience, um, with a bunch of people crammed into a tiny little room, sitting on the floor, a couple of people with drums, with these high-pitched squealy voices and a key that I can't sing in as they pour out in Telugu, praise to the Lord, and I'm just along for the fun, I'm clapping, I'm celebrating with them, I don't have a clue what they're singing, um, but lost in worship because of the hearts of the people. Um, I can think back to last week, um, bottom, some of us took some of the young people from our church to an event in town called Unite, um, where it was youth groups from all over Hillsborough gathering at the Venetian in downtown Hillsborough um, to worship and pray.
their city and ask God to move in their schools. Uh, and uh, I mean, the band was fantastic. The energy in the room was spectacular. But the moment where three of the girls from our church, unprompted by anyone, get up out their seats and go and kneel down on the floor uh, at the front of the stage with their hands in the air, crying out to God the words of a song and watching my daughter be one of them going, who, who taught her this? Where does she learn to, like, in a room full of your peers, not care about what they think and get on your hands and knees on the floor? Um, the picture in the top right is the prayer chapel on Multnomah's campus. Um, when I started at Multnomah in 2006, every morning before classes, class would start at 8, 6 a.m., I would roll into this prayer chapel and spend two hours every day crying out to God, memorizing scripture, sitting in silence, interceding for my church at home, for my family to come to know Jesus, praying for God to do a reawakening, reviving work in our country. Uh, I would go up and spend two hours in there, and by the time I got to class, I was fired up. Um, but just sitting there in quiet and stillness with the words of scripture going around my head, occasionally other people would come and join me, just crying out to God in the silence and the stillness. Still one of my favorite places in the world to go. Um, and I take the same picture. This is like from a month ago. I take the same picture every time I go in. <laughs> like, here's another picture. Bottom right, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Trappist Abbey in Carleton, Oregon, just, just by Newburgh. Um, going there for retreats. This is a beautiful little space, about 4.15 a.m. Uh, when the, the, the vigils start. They get up, these little monks get up at 4.15 a.m. They have five prayer times during the day, but it starts, their day starts at 4.15. Uh, the sun's not even up. They make their way into this chapel to recite the words of scripture. And I can take myself back to sitting there stunned at 4.15 in the morning at this little group of monks. There's like, a dozen of them. Uh, I think of sitting here, they are, uh, they're old, they're in robes, they're going through this liturgy, they couldn't sing on key. So it was just a bunch of people chanting what was supposed to be songs like, <laughs> don't tell them I said that. But sitting there enraptured in the move of God through the hearts of these people that all day, every day, every day of their life, wake up at 4.15 a.m. to call out to God on our behalf, reciting scriptures over our country, tucked away in a little monastery uh, an hour or so from here. No one sees what they're doing. Just all these moments of worship that captivate my heart. Um, I'm sure you've got moments like them. Uh, I want to read some scriptures here, and I, I'm just going to read a bunch of scripture. If you want the references to go back and look at later, they're here, but I'm going to go through some of these. I just want to read some passages to get us thinking about worship this morning. So starting in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Second Samuel 6, David went up to bring the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. 
When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the, the Lord with shouts and the, and the sounds of trumpets. Twelve, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others they gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Mark 14, while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. At 16, after Paul and his friends had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. While he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and found their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and all the other to them. And perhaps my favorite Revelation chapter 4 in its entirety. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Before their throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, 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 who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor and thanks to him, who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him, falling on their faces and saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive power and honor and glory for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. What an image. The picture that Revelation gives us of the heaven reality, these creatures night and day crying out the same thing for eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. 
And as they cry out, the elders on the thrones falling on their faces cry again, you are worthy, our Lord and our God. You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive the glory, the honor, and the power, the vision of heaven, the vision of worship that we are swept up in every time we gather like this and we sing a song. I think what happens is we've detached the spirituality from what happens as we gather and worship. We come and we sit. I like the song. I like the words. I'm going to sing it to the Lord. Often it's I want to express uh, something that's going on inside me. Sometimes if we're lucky and the music gets quiet, the voices are loud, you get captivated by the sounds of corporate worship. But so often we don't stop to realize that what happens when we open our voice in worship is that we join with the heavenly chorus crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We join the elders who have fallen on their faces before the Lord saying, you alone are worthy. In the moment of worship, the heavenly reality and the earthly earthly reality come together and we join in this worship expression that is taking place every day of your life while you're sleeping, while you're eating, while you're hanging out with friends, while you're looking at pornography on your computer, while you're grumbling about someone, whether you're extolling the merits of something that dishonors God or whether you're sitting listening carefully to the voice of someone else or, or, or serving food to someone that has nothing. Every moment, heaven is crying out in this worship song to the Lord. And every moment, that washes over us. And as our hearts turn to him, and as our voices are lifted up, we join in that heavenly chorus. There's four brief things I want to say about worship this morning after all of that. Uh, And as I've said before, we're going to walk through this series. We're going to get really practical in the weeks to come. But four things this morning that I want us thinking about as we consider what it is that we're doing when we engage in worship. The first one is simply, worship is a response to revelation. Our worship, whether it's the things we do in action or whether it's the songs that we sing, is our response to the revelation of the one seated on the passage. And Revelation chapter 4 shows that this being seated on the throne, all the resplendent colors, the response of the people who see him, their only response is to cry out with a declaration of who he is, holy, holy, holy. The elders, their their, their response is, take off my crown and cast it at your feet. Their response is to declare, you alone are worthy of all the power and the glory and the honor that you're due. Worship is not just coming together and singing songs. Worship is responding to the revelation of God. We can turn up at church and we can wait till we get here and we start 10 minutes late for, um, we're working on that. Uh, You can wait till you get here and we start to turn your attention to him and expect the songs to provide the revelation and then allow you to respond, what you really want to be doing is waking up in the morning and saying, God, how do you want to show yourself to me so that by the time you arrive in the doors of the church, the worship that flows from your heart is the response to the revelation that you've already experienced. Worship is always a response to the revelation of who he is. I want you to think for a moment about who Jesus experienced him in your life. Where has he shown up? What declarations has he spoken over you? 
What are the moments in your life, like the many of mine, where I can close my eyes and, and jump back in time to a moment and a place where I was caught up in worship? I can think of times with an organization called Firestarters, a bunch of youth um, all across Scotland, and we gathered together, and uh, this was my first exposure to the really crazy side of charismatic Christianity, and it was really uncomfortable for me, and half the time I didn't know what was going on, and I wanted to leave the room, um, but I remember times when we were worshiping, and you're in a room full of people crying out to God, and I would close my eyes, and I would get lost in the words, and it would feel like the room just disappeared. And I'm alone in a giant expanse filled with light and I can hear these voices around me, but it's just me and this brightness that is Jesus. And all I could do was cry out the words of the songs to him, lost and enraptured in the moment. My worship was a response to his revelation. Worship is more than singing songs. It's lifting our voice to the one seated on the throne, the one who created everything, the one who made a way to deal with the brokenness of our lives and bring us back into reconciliation with Jesus, who whispers into our ears, who provides what we need, who comforts us when we're downtrodden. It's a response to his revelation. I think when we use a phrase like response to revelation, we tend to think of God as out there and distant. So perhaps the second way to consider worship is appreciating his presence. As we're worshiping, we're not just singing the words of songs, we're acknowledging the one who is here with us and present in the room. I think this definition changes how we experience worship because if worship is appreciating his presence, worship is as much sitting in the prayer chapel at Multnomah in silence aware that he is here as it is at the 24-7 prayer conference this last week and a room full of people crying out in worship to the Lord. A lot of the time we come into a, a Sunday morning experience like this and we engage in worship and it's so easy to be caught up in, I like the song, I don't like the song. There's too many musicians, there's not enough musicians. The song's too slow, the song's too fast. Don't resonate with the words of the song and forget that what we're supposed to be doing in this moment is appreciating the presence of the creator of the universe and the savior of our soul who's standing right in front of us. Uh, I'm um, he's the one who stands behind us so close to us that you can feel because that's how close to you he wants to be. As we sing the songs, whether we like them or not, whether they're old or new, whether they're rich in theology or simple and repetitive, it's an invitation to stop and acknowledge his presence. And even as I'm preaching, it's not just the time when we stop and we sing, but as I'm preaching, are you aware of his presence? Are you appreciating that the Spirit of God is here? I never want to preach without his presence. I never want to preach without him here, moving in me and moving in us. But sometimes realize he's here. You appreciate his presence in those moments of panic when it feels like the world around you is falling apart. And something fills your internal world with a sense of peace because you know he is here. Worship, it's responding to revelation, it's appreciating his presence. Uh, number three, worship is expressing our hunger for him. There's a, an interesting transition has happened in worship. If you go back, you don't have to go back very far. Um, hymns often are responses to revelation 
and declarations of his presence, but, but the language of hymns, and some of the modern worship songs do this, but they, they worship a transcendent God. O oh Lord our God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works your hands have made, you're up there, you're out there, you're bigger than me. There are many worship songs that step back from God. You're magnificent, you're glorious, you're huge. And we declare his praises. And, but the other part of worship is expressing, Lord, we hunger for you. We're desperate for you. We want more of you. We want your presence here. When you get in a room like watching uh, my daughter and, and, uh, and Cruzy and Demi um, on the floor, on their knees, hands in the air, and a bunch of other kids coming down, like, I watched hunger. I watched desperation. Lord, we want to see you move in our school, so we're on our knees asking you to move. I watch the kids, it's like they're reaching, trying to grasp at heaven and the present moment to transform who we are. Worship is about our hunger, crying out in desperation, expressing our dependence, bursting with affection. I'm given two extremes, right? One is we declare the greatness of this transcendent God. It's easy to spend our time here and say a good worship song is one that only declares the goodness of God and declares his transcendence and lists all his attributes. It's easy to declare the praises of that God in worship and forget that he cares about me, that he's present in me, that he wants intimacy with me. It's easy to look at that God and see the perfect, spotless, without blemish, faultless, perfectly just God who's judging me and all my failures, who I can never get close to because I'm a broken, sinful human being. And so we need the hunger and the declaration of dependence and crying out. And there are some beautiful songs that we sing. It's your breath in my lungs, so I'm going to pour out my praise to you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. He wants you. So come flood this place and change the atmosphere. Jesus, we, how we love you. You're the one my heart adores. And sometimes we get repetitive, right? Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You're the one my heart adores. Jesus, we love you. Everyone in this room, we love you. You're the one our heart adores. Maybe we can get stuck here. Maybe we can make it too much about feelings and emotion. Oh, I didn't feel anything special in worship today. Didn't feel particularly moved, so it wasn't worship. It's not about whether I feel moved or not. It's about whether I'm expressing the truth of who he is and allowing my heart to burst forth in hunger for this God that we worship. Hunger for him is what makes us say we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We'll do the work to experience him so that the yearning inside increases so that all I can do when we come to worship is burst forth and praise. How is your hunger? Do you long for him? Does your heart burn for more? We're invited into a relationship with God that's not celebrate this God who's distant. It's come into a relationship with a God that wants to be close, that wants to talk with you, that will reveal truth to you if you're willing to listen. How's your hunger? Fourth thing, worship is surrender. A sacrifice of surrender. Sacrifice and surrender. Worship is about surrender. 
Did you know the moment that we sing on a Sunday morning is a training ground for the rest of the week? Every time you're in a worship experience, you have an opportunity to sacrifice and to is choosing to engage in worship even when your heart doesn't feel like it. It's choosing to sing the song even when you don't like it. It's choosing to sing when you don't like to sing. I think of all of these moments, Multnomah, very distinct. We would have these chapels for our, uh, our grad class. And there was one worship leader who every time he would lead worship, um, he would do these songs that were like essentially... I'm caricaturing this, right? It wasn't quite this, but it was, I'm a miserable sinner. I've screwed up all week long. I'm grateful that there's a savior. I am turning up at chapel from having spent two hours sitting in the presence of Jesus in the prayer chapel, crying out for the world, encountering his revelation, memorizing scripture, praying for revival. I'm like, I'm good. I've repented, I've confessed, I'm fired up. I'd turn up at grad chapel, I'd see who's walking up to lead worship and I'm like, oh geez, it's like depressing emo worship day. And, and the first couple of times I sat there with such a haughty spirit. Like you're so focused on all need to confess all our brokenness today. And I'm like, I, I'm good. I've worshipped. I've prayed. I've confessed. I've taken the world. I've felt the fire. I've called it down on our campus. I'm good to go. And I'd sit there with this arrogance. I'm in a better place than you are. Um, God convicted me of that very quickly. And what I would do instead is I'd be in a situation like that. And I'd, I'd go in. I'm fired up. I'm excited. I'm ready to praise and to worship and celebrate who he is and ask him to move. And someone would come up and they'd start this slow, emotional, confessing worship. And so I would grab my journal and I'd go over to the corner of the room and I'd just take my pen and on paper I would just praise God and I'd pray for the people in the room and ask them to move. Because rather than not enjoy the experience and give God no worship, I would choose to find a different way to worship that would exalt him in the middle of an experience that wasn't connecting with where I was in my heart. I think about the conference I was at this week. Uh, 24-7 prayer had their national conference in Colorado Springs. Fantastic time. But I didn't love all of it. I had these moments where uh, there was one day where I woke up. I was exhausted. We'd had a late go, go, go. All the gaps that the rest of the people got for me were filled with meetings that I had to be a part of. And so I arrive in to worship just exhausted. I'm like, I don't want to worship this morning. I just want to sit And I was like, I can do that, but what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to go down to the front, to that front right corner where all the people are being really energetic. And I am going to choose in my tiredness to expend energy and praise of the one who works tirelessly on our behalf. Um, every day of the conference, they had a prayer rhythm where we would gather to pray in the morning, prayers of gratitude. We would meet in the afternoon at noonday to pray for the lost. We would spend time at the end uh, confessing and, and, and reflecting on who he was. And so you've got this morning, you wake up in the morning. I've just told you what happened at Multnomah. I usually wake up ready to go and pray and I'm excited. So we go to this prayer time and it's like, it's the first one of the conference. What we're going to do is we're going to gather and we're going we're, we're to pray gratitude to begin our day. 
And I'm like, okay, we're at the conference. I'm excited. I'm with people that I love. I'm seeing friends that I've not seen a whole year. I'm pumped. I'm so grateful. Let's go. And we go into the room. And it was this, the, the room was a little smaller than this, but it was crammed. People were in the seats and every floor space was taken up and all these people are there. And the guy gets up at the front and he's like, so what we're going to do is we're just going to sit quietly. And I just want you to think about Jesus and what you're grateful for. And we're just going to sit here for 30 minutes in stillness and gratitude. I'm like, heck no. <laughs> so what did I do? I got out doors into the lobby so that I wouldn't disturb anyone. And I just quietly under my breath prayed the prayers of gratitude that I had that morning because I was so amped to see everybody that I couldn't sit still. But I was like, I'm not going to disconnect from worship. I'm not going to sit here and let my mind wander. So I just wandered outside. God, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for what you're doing. I love that all those people are in there experiencing stillness. I can't sit still. So forgive me for not being in the room, but you know my heart is here with them. God, I want to participate. I want to worship you. And there, there was a moment during worship. There was one of the evenings. There's a theme right now. I just wanted to go for it all week. That was it. I was like ready to worship. I go into the room and the first song that they sang was one I didn't know. And it was kind of slow and the words were a little bit funky. And I was like, I don't know if I agree with the theology in this. Uh, and so I'm standing there and I'm like, I just, with where my heart is at and what this song is and my lack of familiarity with it, I just don't know what to do right now. So I do what I often do. And as everyone else is singing, I just close my eyes and I start praying for the conference. God, I don't get this song, but I do that you're here. These people are hungry for you, so God, would you move in them? If there's anyone else in the room that's struggling to connect with a song, would you break through? Give them the revelation that will help them know who you are and what you're doing. God, would you crack open people's hearts? There's people from all over the states here to catch the vision for prayer. So God, give them the vision for prayer. And I'm sharing these stories because I want to give you permission to not like worship. I want to give you permission to not like a song. I want to give you permission to think it's too slow. I want to give you permission to think it's too repetitive. I want to give you permission to think that the song is too self-indulgent or too archaic. You're allowed to not like what happens in a room, but what you're not allowed to do is allow that to stop you from worshiping the one that you came to worship. And so sometimes on a Sunday, you're gonna come here and worship's not gonna be what you're wanting. My invitation is intercede for our church. Pray for our worship. Confess the ways that a note on a guitar string being out of tune can stop you from worshiping the God that you confess to the Lord. Like this song is too repetitive. I, I have these moments when I look at scriptures, right? You've got the Revelation 4. Like the heavenly worship is holy, holy, holy are you Lord who was and who is and who is to come for eternity. So we're going to have to use Sunday mornings to practice some repetitive singing because we're going to be doing it for a long time when we meet with Jesus. But you've got to hold it in tension with Psalm 119, the longest chapter in Scripture that is the most verbose description of the Word of God that possibly ever exists with verse after, the Word is great, the Word is good, you can trust it, it's awesome. The Scripture is full. 
of these songs and these poems that are either big verbose descriptions of who God is all the way to the other extreme of these repetitive words that are spoken over the Lord over and over again. That the Psalms are full of these declarations of the, the goodness of God and how unsearchable he is. But they're filled more with, God, life is so miserable. My world has fallen apart. I'm such a horrible person. God, help me, help me, help me. Me focused. And then the ones that we never talk about, right? When we try and gauge what a good worship song is. God, would you strike against me? Would you dash their babies against rocks? Would you tear them apart? Would you let their life fall apart? Would ground open up and swallow them? May they die in misery. You want to write a song for us, Reuben? That's like... <laughs> Take one of the imprecatory psalms and we can sing it with joy together. I want to give you permission. We don't have to like it all, but we always have a choice. Are we going to sacrifice and surrender to him? And, and, and I want to ask this question. Um, again, I'm, I'm polarizing just for fun. If you're in the room and you hate simple, repetitive worship choruses, hypothetical scenario. If singing simple repetitive choruses for the rest of your life guaranteed that the next generation came to Jesus, would you give up your hymns for the next generation? And if you're one of the people in the room that looks at some of the hymns that get sang and some of the older songs and you go, I just don't connect them. These songs, like, they don't express how I feel. The words are strange. This one's good with that. Would you be willing to give up singing contemporary worship songs and only sing archaic hymns if it was the only way to let the older generation around us know that they had a place and that they're valuable to the kingdom of God and that they belong here? Worship's not about us. It's about him and about communicating his message to the people who are around us. Closing statement here. This is nothing new. The world needs people who are fully captivated by Jesus. The world needs people experience his revelation and respond to it. The world needs people who can appreciate his presence that's always with us. The world needs to see people who are so hungry for him that they're willing to fall on their knees and put their hands in the air, reaching to heaven, trying to bring it down to the earth. The world needs to see people who are so sold on Jesus that they'll sacrifice and surrender everything uh, to make it the way he wants it to be. And so I said Sunday morning worship is a training ground for out in the world. If a song comes on and you can't worship Jesus because you don't like the speed or the tone or the words, what hope do you have of effectively sharing the gospel when it's going to involve rejection and persecution? If you can't enjoy a song because it's too old, words don't make any sense, and, and in that moment of where you can't move your spirit to engage... What hope do you have when Jesus says, sell everything you have and move to the other end of the world? If we're so broken over a song, what hope do we have of doing the radical things that he calls us to? The world needs people who are fully captivated by Jesus. So 
We're going to take communion uh, next. And I, I have a question. We're not going to discuss it. This is for personal reflection. Here's the question. What would you have to give up if Jesus really wanted all of you? If worship is sacrifice and surrender, Jesus gives all of himself and asks us to give him all of us. What would you have to give up if Jesus really wanted all of you? When we take communion, we are remembering the sacrifice that he gave. We're remembering, first of all, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God who rescues us from our brokenness. And as we take the the bread, which represents his body, which is broken for us, and we take the juice that represents his blood poured out for us, in taking, remembering the revelation of God that finds its fullness in Jesus. In taking it, we are remembering that he is present, that this is not something that happened in the past, but he is present today. And he is continuing to sacrifice for us, but standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and calling us to offer a sacrifice in response. As we take it, we're reminded that our physical hunger is supposed to point to a spiritual hunger for him. And as we take the bread and the wine, we're satisfying in a tiny little way the hunger that we have. uh, Reminding ourselves that he alone is the one who will satisfy our hunger. And then this question... If worship is sacrifice and surrender, I want you as as you take communion to consider what he gave of himself. And then this question, what would you have to give up that is currently in your life or your spirituality if Jesus really wanted all of you? So let me pray and then you can come forward uh, and, and take communion. So grab it, go back and we always like to do things communally. So get a couple of people around you take communion together, pray for one another, and then we'll finish some songs. So, God, you are, uh, you are worthy. Honor the power and the praise. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, who was and who is and who is to come. You deserve it all. You deserve all the praise that we can give. Uh, thank you for revelation. Thank you for showing us who you are. Would you enable us to respond? Thank you that you are ever present. God, would you open our eyes and our hearts to experience and be aware of that presence so that our life responds to you appropriately as a result? God, would you take the hunger we have for the things of the world and redirect them where they're supposed to be on you? Increase our hunger for you And may we worship freely, expressing how much we need you, how much we love you, how much we celebrate you. And then lastly, God, as you sacrificed for us, would you help us to be the kind of people who are all in for you, that we would be willing to sacrifice every desire of our heart in order to be fully uh, united with you, swept up in is that you're doing in the world. Why? Because the world needs people fully captivated by you. So God, make us a church of worshipers so the world is swept up into your arms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when you're ready, if you wanna uh, head over to the table, get communion, and then you can pray together.